at these things. Your mighty and strong name. Amen. Do take a seat. I am um, James, the one that Rich referred to, the one who's being squeezed dry this week and next. Um, but no, it is a privilege and a joy to be able to, to share with us God's word. So I'm going to read to us from Philippians 1 this morning, verses 1 through 14. This is from the NRSV version. Um, salutation. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for every remembrance of you, always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. For all of you are my partners in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the tender affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what really matters so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. This is the word of the Lord. At the beginning of this week, some wonderful friends gave me the opportunity to stay at their caravan for 48 hours. 48 hours away from the children, away from distraction, away from noise. I didn't even have a phone signal. It was absolutely Beautiful. It was a mini retreat to work on my dissertation, which I managed to do, tick, to work on this sermon, tick, and um, to just have a little bit of downtime. I was surfing. When I say surfing, um, I stood up three times for about seven seconds each time before falling off. Uh, to do some running, which I love. I got lost through a wood and had to clamber through bracken. Um, I was chipping golf balls, um, trying to get them into a little basket about 30 meters away. Um, I took 450 shots, I counted, and I got two in. So I, w I won't be entering next year's US Open anytime soon. I'll leave that one to Fraser. Um, and I was writing, and it was just bliss, absolutely beautiful. So the question I have for you this morning is when was the last time that you felt truly joyful? You see, as much as I enjoyed those 48 hours away on my own in the peace and quiet, and I was very, very happy, don't get me wrong, it wasn't the same thing as being joyful. I'll explain why in a little bit. 
You probably know I've just finished my master's in theology over the last couple of years as I've trained to be a vicar. And I absolutely geeked out on two modules in particular. The first one was the advanced study of a Christian theologian. Any guesses for who that might have been? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that's right. The one who I mention every sermon, and he gets a little mention again today, of course. And the second mention, not the second mention, the second module was the advanced topic in Christian doctrine. Okay? Now, both of these modules, for me, were absolute joy. Now, you're probably thinking, hang on, you're comparing being at a caravan on the coast, getting to be by the beach, beautiful weather, an advanced topic in Christian doctrine, possibly the driest thing that you could have. And you're comparing those two things, and you're saying, that one is joy, but that one isn't. Have you lost your marbles, finally? But here's the thing. I used to think that joy was to be found in a perfect set of circumstances, things converging and convening in such a way that meant I've got the weather, I've got the situation, I've got the right set of people, that is joy. But what I've discovered over the last couple of years in particular is that joy and happiness are not the same thing. You see, happiness is dependent upon a certain set of circumstances, whereas joy is something else. Joy comes from beyond us. Until I started my master's in theology, I'd never done any doctrine classes whatsoever. I'd never even done the dummy's guide to doctrine. But as I began to study these doctrine classes, as we looked at the different aspects of the character and the nature of who God is, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I began to see that just like a diamond that's held up to the light and turned ever so slightly, there's these different facets of the character of God that come out that help us to see something new of who he is. We could be Christians for our entire lives and we'd never, ever get tired of discovering the new things that there is about who Jesus is and the way he wants to impact and change our lives. And I think this is what joy is truly about. It's not just flash in the pan happiness, a situation requiring these certain circumstances aligning perfectly for a fleeting moment. Joy is a deep-rooted knowledge of who God is and more importantly, of knowing that we are known by him, that we are loved and chosen by him. It's what the Spirit shows us. And that's why when we pray, Spirit, break out, as we were singing, we want him to break out in us, first of all, before he breaks out in our world as well. So if you think that being a Christian, to follow after Jesus, means that you're going to have a happy life. Well, I'm really sorry to burst your bubble this morning. To be a Christian does not equate to pure happiness. We still have the anxieties and the worries and the pain and the suffering and the loss and the grief and all of those other things that the rest of humanity faces. But the difference is, is that we know that there is a person who comes and steps down into those 
moments of hurt and pain. The God who comes and draws close, who put on skin and bones because he wanted to draw close to us, to show us that he walks alongside us, shoulder to shoulder, in the high points, but also in the lowest of lows, in those valley moments too. So when Paul prays here in verses three and four, I thank my God for every one of you praying with joy He's not praying from a place of happiness. Paul had planted all of these churches all across this region. He's not sitting somewhere on a beach in Greece, sipping his pina colada, thinking, I've done a good job, I've planted all these churches, they're healthy and everything's going well and now I'm on my sabbatical. It tells us in verse 13 that he's imprisoned. So how can he pray with joy in spite of of being imprisoned. To be imprisoned in Paul's time wouldn't have looked like what it looks like today. To be imprisoned would have meant that he would have been left um, on his own, away from all of his friends and those who loved him. He probably wouldn't have had many visitors. He'd have been in smelly, cramped conditions, sharing a cell with many people. I think I used to have this idea that when Paul was imprisoned, he had this lovely little spot somewhere with a desk set up and parchment and ink, and he could write all of this theological beauty. But he was in pretty dire circumstances. He probably wouldn't have even had enough nourishment to get by. He was dependent upon people coming and bringing him gifts and offerings from the community of faith. And yet, in spite of these circumstances, Paul is able to look up and above his circumstances. So that he can say in verses 12 and 13, what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel. My imprisonment is for Christ. Notice that. My imprisonment is for Christ. It's not because of Christ. It's not because I've chosen to follow after God and I've counted up the cost, but actually this is the place where I'm called to minister, to speak of the good news of who you are. And there's been an impact upon the rest of the believers as well, that they've chosen to speak up with boldness, to say, well, actually, if Paul is willing to be imprisoned for the gospel, then we can be those people too. We can be those people who live in a countercultural way and who point away from ourselves and point towards the living God and his coming kingdom among us. Paul has found joy in spite of his circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon those perfect circumstances that we once had, the current circumstances that we might find ourselves in fleetingly, or even the hoped-for circumstances of what is yet to come. Joy is an encounter with Jesus in this moment by his Holy Spirit, the one who presses on with us and leads us to our future. In 1956, a group of five missionaries went to Ecuador. One of those was Jim Elliott. He had just had um, a little baby girl who'd been born to his wife, Elizabeth. And these five missionaries flew into the jungle. They made contact with this 
a group of indigenous tribes people that they wanted to share the gospel with. And it was nicknamed Operation Orca. And after a couple of weeks, they'd made contact with these people. They'd begun to be able to share the gospel message with the tribes people. And there were particularly some young people who wanted to know what the gospel was all about, who Jesus was. And there was one young girl who had a love interest um, and the love interest was particularly um, jealous that she wanted to come and spend time with these missionaries. And so what he did is he went and got a group of other young men and the following day they came back and they took their spears and they killed all five missionaries. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint and three others were killed for their faith. And when news got back to Jim's wife, Elizabeth, with their few months old baby, they interviewed her because she said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to continue his legacy and his work because I want these people to know the good news of Jesus, to offer forgiveness to them. And people said, you're crazy. Not only have you got a brand new baby, but how can you go How can you be happy to go to that place? And she said this. He said, one of the things I'm perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. That's why when um, Rich was praying for these little ones this morning in their dedication as they asked uh, Vili and Hannah, you know, would you be willing to give over your children to, to live and to serve Jesus wherever he calls them? That is why we can entrust God, our children, to God in those places and those times, knowing that he has them, that even in those difficult circumstances, God goes before and he is glorified. And so our identity as children of God, as people who follow after Jesus, our identity and our joy is wrapped up in the identity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as they're in this perfect, joyful communion, experiencing relationship with one another. Joy is an attitude which we as God's people can adopt, not because of these perfect circumstances, because our God, our hope is in the God who comes and meets with us right here and right now, whatever it is that we're going through. So we look at where we've come from with thanksgiving, but we look forward with anticipation as well. That's why as we tell these stories, as we did earlier about what God was doing in and through us at the big weekend. The whole point was to look back at what God has done over the the last 20 years of this, this iteration of All Saints community and to pray, Holy Spirit, what might you want to do over the next 20 years? We were praying for this in our life group on Wednesday evening in our friend's garden, saying, Holy Spirit, what might you be saying to us in the next period of time as the church here. You see, the church is called to be a people on the move, not static, but constantly in motion. Not just for the sake of being busy. There's so much busyness in our world and our lives and our communities. But to be busy 
knowing that we're serving the God who wants to come down and reach into our circumstances, to play our part in seeing the mission and the ministry of God happen in our locality, in our neighborhoods, in our schools and our offices, and all the places where we get to live as missionaries for the gospel. And it's what Paul refers to in verse 14 as daring to speak the word with great boldness and without fear, being disciples of Jesus who point towards his healing and his wholeness in Jesus' name. I don't know whether Paul the Apostle had a favorite church, but from the way that he speaks in these verses, I would suggest that it was probably the Philippians. He has this deep, deep-rooted love for them. He says that he longs for them with the tender affection of Christ Jesus. It's a bit like the love that I have for all saints. If I had to pick a favorite church, this would be it. But don't tell my new vicar in Brighton, because I'll get in trouble before I've even started. So joy, what does that look like for us? Just quickly, before we finish up. Joy is love overflowing. Verse nine, he says his prayer is that the Philippians' love may overflow more and more with the knowledge and full insight or wisdom, as it says in the NIV. We don't often think about love in the terms of knowledge and wisdom. We tend to think more affection and feeling. But for Paul, these feelings, affection, knowledge, truth, they're they're kind of pushed together. We might see love as the heart, but for Paul, it's the heart and the head together. To love Jesus and to know more of his love for us, to grow in that love, that it sustains us, not just in those mountaintop experiences, but in the valleys of life as well. And that's why studying theology, studying doctrine has been such a joy and a gift to discover those facets of who Jesus is more and more. Joy as hope in the face of hardship. But it's also a love for one another as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his PhD, which he wrote at 21 years of age, by the way, he was a smart cookie, Sanctorum Communio, that was his PhD thesis, and he said this, there are three great positive possibilities of acting for each other in the community of the saints. There's self-renouncing active work for the neighbor, intercessory prayer, and finally, the mutual forgiveness of sins in God's name. So to love one another is to act with and for the other in our community, in our neighborhood. Even when that's costly to us, costs our time, our energy, our money, all of those things. It's a call to live with and for the other. It's the call to pray for our communities, to pray joyfully as Paul does, that our communities may be changed by the good news of Jesus. And it's the call to offer and receive that forgiveness with and amongst one another, to to acknowledge in those places where we might not want to admit it to somebody else, actually, I really need God's forgiveness in this, to say, would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you challenge me? Whether that happens in your life group, whether that happens in your prayer triplet or whatever um, space that is, 
That is what we're called to do. Those are the kinds of people that we're called to be. So first of all, love overflowing. Second, moral discernment. In verse 10, Paul prays that wise love would result in moral discernment, that love may overflow to help you to determine what really matters. If love is knowledge and experience brought together, then it stands that to discover more joy in our lives is to go deeper in our knowledge and our experience of who God is. That we read our Bibles and discover more of who he is through the word, but also that we encounter his living spirit as we gather as the community of faith as well. We're going to explore that a little bit further next week, what it means to discover joy as the corporate people of God. But thirdly, right living or righteousness as it's referred to in verses 10 and 11. The final section of what Paul prays for the church in this part of his letter is that they, their, um, their right way of living, verse 10 to 11, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness or right living that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Right living is not about a perfect set of circumstances that bring out the very best in us. Right living is about the choices that we make when we feel we are being squeezed by life, squeezed by what is happening around us. My friend likens it to a piece of fruit. If you squeeze a lemon, what kind of juice comes out? Well, it's lemon juice. You don't get apple juice out of a lemon, do you? The call on our lives as Christians is to be marked on the outside, to be shown to be people who live in a different way, but also our inner life to be the same. To be marked by the way that when we are frustrated or annoyed, that we turn to Christ and say, actually, I need help with this. To allow others to pray for us in that place where we just want to go out alone. To practice the fruits of the Spirit. We'll be thinking about what it means to follow Jesus and to practice the way of Jesus in our evening. Um, uh, I was going to say lectures. They're not lectures. Evening uh, talks at our evening gatherings. So do come along to them if you want a refresher. What does it mean to live in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? I think if I had to sum up joy, particularly from what Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi here, I would suggest that joy is anticipation. Anticipation not just of that hoped-for day when all should be made new, when we've not just joined God in the renewal of all things, but the, the renewal of all things has happened and we see it. And we know that God has done all that he said he will do. It's anticipation for that, but it's also anticipation that the Holy Spirit wants to meet with us right here and right now. We have the opportunity to encounter joy, to choose Joy, to know that joy comes from beyond ourselves. It's not something that we can whip up from inside ourselves. It's an opening up of ourselves to the Spirit of God. 
to allow him to do the work that only he can do in our lives and in our communities. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? We're going to take a few minutes to respond in prayer. And the invitation this morning, as ever, is to open ourselves up afresh to God by his Holy Spirit. So whatever posture you need to take for that, perhaps it's your hands just put out in front of you as a sign to say, I'm open to you, God. I think I need more joy in my life today. And we're just going to wait, trusting that the Holy Spirit does what he says he will do. So come, Holy Spirit. More of you, Lord. More joy in this place. Pour out your joy on dry bones. Like a sponge that might have dried up. I pray, come and fill us. Show us just a new facet of who you are today. Lord. Rich is going to pray a final prayer of blessing for us in a moment. But if anyone would like to be prayed for in particular, and there'll be a few of us over to your left, my right, at the end of the gathering, we'd love to pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are here. But you're not just here, you go before us as well. 
you go before us into our weeks, whatever they hold. You go before us into the circumstances that are tricky. And Lord, help us to choose joy, to discover.